when good isn't good enough. Next on Abounding Grace. You might be doing some things for God right now, and you might be a very good person. You might be giving God a little bit here, giving God a little bit more there. You might be a very good person, and goodness is to be commended in a society like ours that's full of badness. But the goodness and the greatest goodness that you could possibly muster up doesn't compare to the righteousness that God requires. Jesus alone lived a perfect life. God doesn't accept you based on how good you're doing. You know, Christians, you're not kept by your goodness. You're not kept in a right standing with God by your goodness. You and I were kept by, what did Peter say? The power of God. It's his strength and his power. This is amazing grace. We've all experienced falling short of the mark at some point in our lives. Maybe it was failing to make the sports team in high school because you weren't fast enough. Or you didn't get the job of your dreams due to a lack of experience. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn that on our own, we all fall short of a right standing with God. But the good news is, Jesus can provide the righteousness we need. That comes to our attention in Romans chapter 3. I think the enemy takes everything in his arsenal to remove those two words from your life, to give you a sense of hopelessness, to give me a sense that there really isn't much to this Christian. Well, oh, it's good for me, but it's not going to be good for... And God says, no, 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 you have to understand. You give him all your life. He gives you all himself. It's a wonderful work that God does in our lives, that he drops in you and me his Holy Spirit to empower us, to seal us, to encourage us. No matter what age you are today, no matter what background you come from, no, no matter what you're dealing with, it could be like this word here in verse 21, but now can be a different direction for your life. You don't have to wait for tomorrow or for things to clear up. You don't have to wait for your plans to come to pass. So, well, I've got some irons in the fire right now, and I, I, as soon as those come to pass, as soon as I see them, pull them out, figure out, th then I'll start getting serious for the things of the Lord. No, today is the day of salvation. Get serious today. It's but now the righteousness of God. Right now, notice, it's apart from the law, but it's also witnessed by the law and the prophets because salvation isn't a creation of man. Salvation, the gospel of good news, didn't begin with Jesus. It was prophesied throughout the scriptures. Isaiah 53 speaks of the coming Messiah. Throughout Isaiah, we learn of the suffering Messiah. Upon the Messiah, he would take upon our sins, upon himself. That the Messiah would be crucified, prophesied in the scriptures from the very foundation. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. The good news of Jesus Christ isn't something new. It wasn't Paul's gospel and then James' gospel and then Peter's gospel. It is the gospel. It's the gospel of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1. This good news, this righteousness of God that's revealed apart from the law, the very heart of the gospel message was not something just quickly invented by man, by Paul. But notice chapter 1, verse 20, 1 Peter, speaking of Jesus, he indeed, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. 
but was manifest in these last times for you. Salvation is a work of God. Man is guilty before God, and therefore he's dead in his trespasses and sins. But God in his infinite love reached down to man, giving us the opportunity to enjoy fellowship. He could have just let things go if that was his foreordained plan, but it wasn't. His foreordained plan was to provide a savior and that all those that would believe in that savior would have their sins forgiven by his precious blood. Jesus the Messiah doesn't contradict the Old Testament, but rather he fulfills it because the gospel isn't some human novelty, but it's deeply rooted in the Old Testament. There was the moral part of the law, speaking of the morality of God designed to uncover and reveal sin. When your life was measured by the moral part of the law, you walked away knowing that you weren't perfect. Every time the sacrifice was given by the priest, it spoke of the sinfulness of the people. Every time blood needed to be shed, it was pointing to the one that would shed his blood once and for all. There were also the ceremonial laws that were designed to give temporary covering of that sin until the Messiah would come. As he says in verse 25, back in Romans 3, that because in his forbearance, God passed over, speaking even all the way back into the Passover, passed over the sins that were previously committed. And so through the ceremonial law, through the sacrificial system, it was provided a temporary covering. And although the sin was covering, it wasn't completely taken away until Jesus came and his blood was shed. And each time the priest would offer a sacrifice, God was giving the people a picture of the coming Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world by faith in him. When we think of Jesus coming to die for our sins, we think back to Isaiah 53. We think back to Genesis 15 where Abraham placed his faith in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's not a new and novel thing. The gospel's rooted throughout the scriptures. And so we see, verse 24 now, back in Romans 3, we were justified freely. How? By his grace. Justification comes through the grace of God. We could never be right before God in our own rightness. And so God reveals this righteousness that's apart from the law, apart from a written code. It's a righteousness that he himself provides. And some of you might be thinking at this point, well, wait a minute, I understand all the rightness, and in my heart of hearts, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm doing good things. That should amount to something. And Paul's been knocking that down over and over and over again, getting us to the place where we realize, hey, you might be doing some things for God right now, and you might be a very good person. You might be giving God a little bit here, giving God a little bit more there. You might be a very good person, and goodness is to be commended in a society like ours that's full of badness. But the goodness and the greatest goodness that you could possibly muster up doesn't compare to the righteousness that God requires. Jesus alone lived a perfect life. James made that clear to us, didn't he? He said, if you have fallen short in one area of the law, then you have broken all of it completely. And those that have broken the law need someone to rescue them. God doesn't accept you based on how good you're doing. You know, Christians, you're not kept by your goodness. You're not kept in a right standing with God by your goodness. You and I were kept by, what did Peter say? The power of God. It's his strength and his power. Where he comes to Peter, Jesus does. And he says, Peter, I just want to let you know something. Satan has asked for you. Just want to let you know. In case you're worrying, you know, wondering about what Satan's up to. He, he brought your name up. He said he'd like to sift you like wheat, you know. He'd like to really beat you up. He'd like to, you know, really his heart is, Peter, he wants to destroy you. But, Peter, what did Jesus say? I have prayed for you. Jesus is on your side. You might have been sifted lately. You might be in the sifting process right now. Beat, beat, beat down. You're like, ouch, when is it going to end? Just understand, Jesus is praying for you. 
And like he says to Peter, he may be saying to you, and when you return, strengthen the brethren. It's one of the great ways to become fruitful in the things of the Lord is to ask for and live with a heart for others. It really brings you out of yourself. When you see the real needs in people's lives, sometimes they're needs that have been brought out of sin. You know, maybe you know somebody, maybe a neighbor or a friend that's going through a divorce. Divorce is devastating. It's devastatingly hurtful and painful. And maybe you have a friend that their daughter or their son is just doing things, getting in trouble with the law, you know, just doing things that are breaking the hearts of their parents. Maybe you know someone that's financially in between jobs and, and just needs a meal or just needs some food inside or outside of the church. And when you begin to step out serving and helping and loving and giving of yourself, boy, it really does begin. You really do begin to understand the heart of Jesus. Where he came not to take from people. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, you can jot it down. Jesus came not to be served. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. One of the greatest places of Christian life is when we give our lives on behalf of someone else. Well, there's great sacrifice in our lives for the sake of someone else, especially in relation to those that are lost and need a tangible touch of Jesus. You know, the people in your neighborhood, the only Bible they'll probably read is you and your life. And we may give them a track, we may give them information as we should, and as opportunity arises, we should love them and give them the message of the gospel verbally. But I'll tell you what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the message of the gospel practically, lived out in our lives. And when you return, he tells Peter, strengthen the brethren, serve them, give them, love them. It's the power of God that saved us. Flip over to Psalm 40, would you? It's grace you've been saved. It's by his wonderful grace, Psalm 40. I'm sure that when you read Psalm 40, some of you say, oh yeah, I know that verse. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know the address, but I know that verse. I've lived that verse. That's my life. Well, now you have the address, so memorize it. Learn this, because this is the banner of our lives no matter what our background has been. This is what God has done and continues to do in our lives. Look at Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. And he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. <laughs> now the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock. And he established my steps. And he's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor is such turn aside to lies. Many, O oh Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts which are toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God, you are so good. And notice, verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burn offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come, and in the scroll of the book it is written of me. And after all of the goodness of God and all the preciousness of his love and all of the wonderful work that he's done in our lives, look at our response in verse 8. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. It's not a burden in my life. I don't wake up every morning, oh man, do I got to serve the Lord today? Man, how hard is it going to be? And everybody's going to be mad at me. No, I delight to do your will, O oh Lord. Even if I've got to show up to that cubicle again, I'm going to delight. Even if I need to go back to that place, even if I need to apologize, even if I, I delight to do your will because your law is where? 
within my heart. It's an inside work. And so that righteousness has been revealed apart from the law. In studies that we'll do in the future, we'll get into the law and we'll see the purpose of the law. We'll look at the glorious truths of justification in more in depth and understand the work of God in our lives. But for us right now, understand that the righteousness of God comes by His grace. Undeserved, unmerited. Well, how does it come? Well, the redemption says in verse 24, back in Romans 3, is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation. And again, we don't use that word too much. Well, last week I was propitiating, you know. We don't, we don't, just don't. That's not a word that's in our vocabulary. But you can circle that word and write next to it, atoning sacrifice. Atoning sacrifice. To bring together man and God. Atoning. An atoning sacrifice. Or, or you could even write atoning victim, Jesus was, of our sins. Another thing you can write next to it, just so you remember this word, is mercy seat. Mercy seat. Remember in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, they had the Ark of the Covenant, and on top was the mercy seat with the two angels there, and the priest would come in and put blood on the mercy seat as an atonement for the people? Well, Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. He is the one who has atoned for our sins once and for all. Jesus is our propitiation. You and I, the truth is, should have died because of our sin. The judgment of our sins should have come upon ourselves. We should have died, but instead Jesus died and hung on a cross. He suffered for you and me. He hung in agony for me. He gave his life for me. Let me tell you, Confucius hasn't do that for me. Buddha didn't hang on a cross for me. Mohammed didn't hang on a cross for me, but Jesus Christ did. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. And no other man, woman, no other guru, no other teacher has done for me what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in human flesh, has done for you and me. He alone is the propitiation. My Jesus has done that. And so you know what? My Jesus can say, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And if you begin to have the inklings of, well, that's really narrow-minded, let me share with you, friend, the way of salvation is a narrow way. It's a very narrow way, only provided through Jesus Christ. And it's at the cross of Jesus that we will find that place where you'll find forgiveness and love and help with the sin that has so completely devastated your life. And if you're in a place here apart from God today, apart from His Son, Jesus Christ, and you might respond in your heart of hearts, well, it's not completely destroyed me it's not completely done me in, then the devastation is greater than you actually realize because you're now self-deceived of what sin has done to you, both practically but also spiritually in separating you from your God. We're all in need of a Savior. And so what will you do with God's perfect Son? Will you receive Him or will you reject Him? I mean, the grace of God just melts our hearts, guys. We begin to realize what God has done for us that established in our lives we needed a righteousness, we needed help that we can provide for ourselves. And so what does God do? He provides that very help and that very righteousness that by faith can be yours today. Look back at verse 19 as we close and head in with a heart just melted into communion. I love communion Sundays. So wonderful to come to the table to, to receive from the Lord. But verse 19 stuck out at me. It says, now we say whatever the law says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. We really have no excuse. 
The law stipulates to us that we are silent before the Lord, silent and in need of a Savior. And in Revelation chapter 8, would you flip there with me? We read of a time in heaven where there's silence in heaven. Revelation chapter 8. Oh, the seals are being opened and it's a devastating time of judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world in Revelation. And as a church, we've gone through Revelation verse by verse. The studies are up on the web if you want to go through them, preparing us to be the kind of church that God wants us to be in the last days. But I'm struck by verse 1 of Revelation chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about a half an hour. And we have, haven't we, lost sort of the awe of God at times. Where we're looking and we're so excited and we're so worshipful and God is so wonderful. But, but I think when we're in heaven before the throne room of God, I think there's going to be a little bit of silence in our hearts. I think we're going to be blown away by the glory of God. We're going to be blown away by the heavenly scene. We're going to be blown away by the seals open. And there's going to be a silence. And think about it. In that silence, as we're standing before the throne room of God, we're just starting to think, you know, I can't believe I'm here. It's like, man, I'm here. I haven't kept the law. I'm a lawbreaker. I know my heart. I know my deeds. I know that I know my mistakes. I mean, of all the people that know my mistakes, I know my mistakes, and, and I'm here. I mean, gee, everything that I was taught is true. Everything about the glory of God blew my mind of anything I could ever think of, and here I am. And God, this is only your grace. I mean, it's not my works. I haven't done anything to be here. It's just by your grace that I'm saved. It's, it's not anything I can boast about, Lord. I mean, can you think about what heaven would be like if we were all boasting about our works? How'd you get here? Man, I worked hard. I did 20 good things in my life. Well, hey, I did 25. Get behind me in line, buddy. I have more works than you. And what did you do when all the boasting is not in what we have done? All the boasting will be in heaven. Jesus, what you have done for me. And we're just blown away. I'm here. I'm here. And then we're really going to be blown away. You made it. You're here. Oh, how did you get here? Oh, you made it. Yes. How did you get here? And the answer is going to be by the grace of God. Same way you got here, buddy. God's grace and his goodness. You see, because in our heart of hearts, we know, we understand, don't we? I mean, living it daily and practically, we know what it means. The spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak, and we know our own flesh. We know our own sinful habit patterns. We know that our flesh tends toward carnality. We know that our flesh tends toward, toward being jealous. And we know that our, sin, it, our sinful carnality in our flesh just takes us in a way that's contrary to the things of God. We know it every time. Let me listen. Every time you make that U-turn over the double yellow lines, you're in the flesh. I'll tell you what, you are, and I am. Because you know what those double yellow lines say. They taught you. You just treat those double yellow lines as walls. And you wouldn't drive into a wall, but you'll drive over the lines. Because you look around. You don't think you're in the flesh. Why are you checking your mirrors? <laughs> Because you're in the flesh. You're sizing everything up. You're looking around. You know you're in a hurry. And you don't want to go all the way down. You know if you just make a quick U-turn here, probably nobody's ever going to see it. You're probably not going to have to pay the price for it. But just the checking of the mirrors, the assessing of the situation, your flesh, my flesh, that leads us away from obeying God. And you know what? God has redeemed you and changed you. 
And every time you don't make a U-turn over those double yellow lines, you're walking in the spirit, guys. And you're just trusting that the Lord is going to get things through, even if you are late, even if you're late for an appointment or you got to be somewhere, you've made a decision in your heart. You know what, Lord, given the opportunity, I want to walk in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. I mean, you think about the heavenly scene, it's going to be great, isn't it? And it's so true. The cross of Jesus Christ is the place where you'll find forgiveness and love and help for the sin that so completely devastated your life and still wants to. And so what will you do with God's perfect son? Will you receive him or reject him? Will you receive the righteousness that has been revealed apart from the law of God? That by faith in Jesus Christ, his blood will cleanse you and wash you and forgive you? Or will you continue on taking things into your own hands only to know that the longer you go on this path, the more lost you'll be? And it's our heart and our desire that you see clearly for yourself today. The way out is Jesus Christ. And he's provided that way out for all who will call upon the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. We needed help we couldn't provide for ourselves. But thanks be to God who provides salvation to all who would receive his son. Today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, we've been learning that righteousness comes by God's grace and is undeserved. Pastor Ed, maybe someone listening right now has been under the impression that their good works has got something to do with this. What would you say to them as we close? Larry, we've been raised in a culture and an environment where good works are valued, where the relationship that we have with God is sometimes measured by good works. But the good news is, is that God sees past our good works, and he sees us in Christ. And what I mean by that, for those of you that may not be familiar with the Christian language, what I mean by that is that what God requires is perfection. And because we have failed, none of us are perfect. And because none of us are perfect, none of us can rely upon our good works. So sure, maybe we say, well, I'm a good person. And, and that's you today. You go, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I'm a good person. Let me just say thank you for being a good person. We need more good people in our culture, in our society. But don't confuse being a good person with being a saved person, because you can be good and not saved, just like you could be saved and not good. And when we begin to lean upon our works, then we have changed the scale, the measurement, because God requires perfection, when we say, yeah, but we're good, and so my works, part of my works must mean something, well, we've changed the scale because God requires perfection. By faith in Jesus Christ, you have perfection. And here's the good news. You say, well, well then where do good works fit in? Well, good works fit in because they come from faith. And they've been prepared beforehand by our Father for us. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. So just because you have good works doesn't mean you're any better than anyone else because we are all in need, as good as we might be. One more thing when you think of good works. We, whenever you begin to lean upon your go, good works, it's easy to compare yourself to someone that's worse than you. Very rarely do you compare yourself to someone that's better than you. But the good news is that we don't need to compare ourselves to anyone because when we're found hidden in Christ, he's all that matters. And we know that it's his finished work and not in any way our works. In that same passage in Ephesians 2, the Bible says that we are not saved by our works. And any works that we have that are good are because God is working in us. Good stuff.
Thanks for sharing that, Ed. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. Still looking for a stocking stuffer or a meaningful gift for that special someone in your life? I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. We made it possible to donate online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. What is justification? We'll seek to answer that question when our study of Romans continues next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.